If you will, turn in your Bibles to the ninth chapter, the Gospel of Matthew, beginning in verse 18, as we continue our study through the Word. So you will remember when Jesus had healed the lepers and sent them to Jerusalem as a testimony to the priests. And, and what that started was an investigation into the messianic claim of Jesus. And, and so they had sent Pharisees uh, from the land up to Galilee to undergo that first phase of the investigation, which was just to simply uh, watch. They weren't allowed to inquire or ask questions. And, and you'll remember that there they were in the house where Jesus was teaching. And, and we saw last time how the friends of the paralytic, they had brought him to Jesus, but they couldn't get to him because of the crowd. So they go up onto the roof and they lower him down into the, the presence of Jesus. There are the those religious leaders just sitting there and observing. And you'll remember what Jesus does. Now, they're there to discover whether or not this is a, a true messianic incident, whether, whether Jesus really is making a claim that he is the Messiah uh, or not. And as the, as the man is lowered down and is in bed before Jesus, Jesus turns to him and says, your sins are forgiven you. And immediately now, the shock waves of that that went through, because certainly no one can forgive sins except God. And so in front of these investigators, Jesus declares that, and he reasons, he tells them, why, why are you thinking evil in your heart? He says, and which is it easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or stand up, arise, and, and pick up your cot, and depart? And he says, but that you might know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins. He turns to the paralytic and says, stand up, and pick up your cot, and depart. And so we see now the incredible news that investigation would have gone back into Jerusalem now and let them know that there is a, a significant event that is taking place. And, and what we are going to see is now they are going to move to that second phase where they are going to question everything. They are going to seek answers to the things that they are observing and, and do a full investigation. And so Jesus continues to minister there in Galilee. You remember last time how Matthew was called from his tax collector's booth and, and how he immediately he departs from that tax collector's booth and, and he follows uh, after Jesus. We saw that, uh, that Matthew throws a, a, a celebration, a feast for Jesus and, and the religious leaders want to know why Jesus is eating with sinners and you remember that Jesus declares that a physician is found amongst the sick, that he didn't come to call the righteous to repentance but, but the unrighteous and, and then you remember how John the Baptist's disciples, they, they came to Jesus and, and they were following him and they, and they asked the question about fasting that you know john's disciples fast and the pharisees fast but uh, but jesus you, you your disciples aren't fasting and so they came with that inquiry and, and jesus said that the friends of the bridegroom are not going to fast while the bridegroom is present with them but when the bridegroom departs, then there will be a, a time of fasting. And then Jesus went on to talk about the, the kingdom 
the new covenant versus the old covenant and the relationship of, uh, of these two. And, and do you remember what he said? He said that uh, an old garment, you don't take a, a new patch of cloth and, and stitch it on. He says, lest when you wash it now, that unshrunk piece will shrink and then tear that hole in the garment. He says, you don't put new wine into old wineskins, but you put new wine into new wineskins. He says, lest it be burst. And he's talking about how the new covenant covenant is not going to fit inside of the old covenant, that it is going to have its own structure. And the structure of the new covenant, of course, is the church. We pick it up here in this 18th verse, and it says, while he spoke these things to them, that's about the wineskins and about the, the patch, it says, behold, a ruler came and worshiped him, saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and, and she will live. And so uh, here we see that both Mark and Luke record this, uh, the, this event uh, here, the, the synagogue uh, ruler. His name is Jairus, and, and he was in charge of the local synagogue there. Now, you'll remember that there was beginning that opposition to Jesus. The religious leaders are investigating, and, and Jairus here is the, the ruler of the synagogue. And so these high dignitaries from Jerusalem and around are, are visiting, and, and they are oppositional to Jesus and and we see that Jairus doesn't care he has a pressing need now his daughter is lying sick now Matthew kind of condenses in this story Mark and Luke give us more details that that she was on the verge of death and and she he comes to to Jesus and and he worships him he falls down and he worships him. To see the synagogue leader worshiping before Jesus would have been quite something for the people to see because he was an influential man as a synagogue leader. His functions within the synagogue would be to watch over the scrolls. He would supervise the worship and services. He, he would be the one that would find rabbis to teach on the Sabbath. And, and so very influential within their community to see him fall down and worship before Jesus. This, this was quite something here. And, and so he asks that Jesus would come and lay his hand on her that, that she might live. And, and so we are told also in the other Gospels, Luke tells us that it was his only daughter. And so this is only daughter and, and that she had just turned 12. Now, a young man, a young boy becomes a, a man at the age of 13. And, and so he undergoes his bar mitzvah. But a woman, a girl becomes a, a woman at the age of 12 and undergoes her bat mitzvah. And so she now had just entered into adulthood here. And, and now she lays sick and is about to die. And and it says in verse 19, so Jesus arose and followed him, and, and so did his disciples. And, and so 
we see here that, uh, that Mark also adds that there was a, a large crowd that uh, went along with them and so many people that the streets were filled. Now they had been gathered together and, and as Jesus begins to move through the narrow streets, that crowd then compresses into the street and, and everybody is packed very close as they are uh, walking now moving towards uh, Jairus' house. And it says in verse 20, And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and, and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made uh, well. And so once again, Mark and Luke have fuller accounts uh, of this miracle, but uh, we see that Matthew's account shows the compassion uh, of uh, Jesus uh, upon her. So this woman now, for 12 years, has had an issue, a flow of blood. She had been to many doctors, Mark tells us. She had spent all of her money, and she had received no cure. The bleeding causes a, a, a woman to be in a, a state of ceremonial uncleanness. And so not only did she have this issue, this flow of blood, but also it rendered her unclean, which meant that she wasn't allowed to be in worship services. She was isolated from others. Being unclean, if she touches anybody, they become uh, unclean. And, uh, and so when you're unclean, you are to avoid people, go through your purification. But for her, it was a constant state. And so she had been suffering for 12 years. We see the 12 years of her suffering is the same length of time that Jairus's daughter had, had been alive. And, and so here we have the, this suffering alongside of the, the childhood of this young girl. And so she came to a place of believing that Jesus could heal her. She had tried everything. It says that she had suffered much uh, at the hands of the, of the doctor. She had literally exhausted herself uh, and tried every remedy that there was, but to no avail. And suddenly hope sprung up in her heart that, you know, if I can just get to Jesus, Jesus can heal me. And she came to the point of believing that she didn't have to tell Jesus the whole story. She wouldn't have to tell him that, uh, that she has an issue or a flow of blood. All she has to do, just touch the hem of his garment. And if she can just touch the hem of the garment, she believed that, that she was going to be made whole. And so she joins into the crowd. Now, if the people found out that she was uh, unclean, they would have rebuked her sharply because she was making everybody that she touched uh, unclean around her. And, but her need pressed her through the fear of man and the fear of rebuke from others. And, and here is Jesus, and now is her moment, and, and she falls down behind him and touches the hem of her garment. And the other gospel writers tell us that the second that she touched it, she could feel that her body was healed. And, and you remember that Jesus stops and he asks, who just touched me? And 
you'll remember that the disciples are like, Jesus, everybody is touching you. It's crowded. The street is packed here. And he says, no, I felt the power. Go out from me. And the woman, she confesses that, that it was her. And, and it is such an interesting moment as to why does Jesus call her out and make her reveal herself in front of the crowd? And I believe that, that it was so she would never be underneath this assumption, this false belief that that she had stolen a blessing from Jesus, that, that she had come up and, and taken it without any knowledge whatsoever. And Jesus wanted her to know that, that God had rewarded her faith and, and that he had released that blessing to her, that, that she didn't take something, but that it was freely given to her. And, and so we see here that Matthew records for us in verse 22, but and Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that very hour. And so that word daughter there is a, a term of affection and warmth. And he said that her faith was the reason that she was healed. So remember that faith is the avenue through which we touch God. It is the avenue through which we apprehend all of our blessings. In fact, our salvation by grace you have been saved through faith in that not of yourselves it's a gift uh, from god and so our our salvation is apprehended by faith it is believing in god and believing that what god says that uh, is true and so uh, it is that faith that connects us to god god is concerned with your faith and the condition of your faith and the strength of your faith. And, and so here we see that Jesus now declares to her that it was through that avenue of faith. Now, was there anything magical about Jesus's garment or the hem of his garment? And, and we see absolutely not. Jesus says, it's your faith that made you whole. You see, it was a, a touch point. It was a release point for her faith to be activated now. And so that faith is what Jesus now declares made her whole. Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd uh, wailing. We see once again that uh, Matthew condenses uh, the events that have taken place here. After Jesus had healed the woman with the issue of blood, there were servants that came from Jairus' uh, house. And the servants uh, come up to Jairus and they tell Jairus, there's no need to trouble the master any, any longer. Your daughter has has died and we see that he hears the most horrific words that uh, that a parent can possibly hear you've lost your daughter it was his uh, only daughter and and mark's gospel records that as soon as jesus heard the word that was spoken that he said to the ruler of the synagogue do not be afraid only believe 
Do not be afraid. It says at that point that he left the disciples uh, behind. He takes with them Peter, James, and John, those three. And they make their way to the house of, uh, of Jairus. And we see that the morning has already begun. We see that uh, the morning would include the, the tearing of your clothing. We see also that there was the wailing that was going on in the flute players. This was uh, common, and, and what you would do is, is these professional wailers, you would hire them to come and to just you know, make these mournful wails. You, they, they wanted to have the sound of, uh, of sorrow there. The flutes would also play, and, and so the, the flutes, it is interesting that, that the Romans, uh, they actually, because the flutes were so loud, and over these funerals and, and the, the wailing and, and all, the Romans limited the number of flutes that you were allowed to ten. That was all the flutes that, uh, that you were allowed. You weren't allowed an orchestra, uh, just ten. And, and so the flute players are, uh, are playing, and now the professional mourners are mourning. Remember that he's the ruler of the synagogue, and, and they believe that the louder the wailing and, and the playing, the more grief that you were showing, the greater the sorrow uh, was uh, uh, over it. And so Jairus is the leader of the synagogue we see that that now the morning was in in full bore motion as as he comes up to the house now with peter james and john and and so uh, they come to the house it says here and they saw the flute players and the noisy crowd uh, wailing and and in verse uh, 24 he said to them make room for the girl is not dead but sleeping and they ridiculed him. Jesus comes up to the professional mourners and to the flute players, and, and he says, you can stop. He says that she's not dead. She, she's only sleeping. Now, for Jesus to say that to them was insulting. They, they, he was saying that they didn't, weren't able to tell the difference between someone who was asleep and someone who was dead. And they're like, look, Pal, we're professionals at this. You know, we know the difference between someone who's sleeping and someone who has died. And, and who do you think you are? And they ridicule Jesus for declaring that Jairus' daughter is, is only sleeping. But when the crowd was put aside, he went in and he took her by the hand and the girl arose. Mark's gospel tells us that he goes into her and he takes her hand and he said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated little girl, I say to you, arise. And so her life comes back into her and he hands her over to the, the parents now. And, and it says in verse 26, and, and the report of this went out into all that land. The ruler of the synagogue was a highly visible person who was known by almost everybody because they would come to synagogue and so they would know who he was and they would know his daughter and the word that, uh, that Jesus had raised uh, his daughter back to life again. This spread throughout the entire uh, area into all of uh, that uh, land. When Jesus departed from there, verse 27, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, 
Son of David, have mercy on us. And so here we see that Matthew once again showing just the power and the compassion of Jesus. And, and there are these two blind men. Now, blindness was common in the ancient world. It still is in third world countries and underdeveloped parts of the, uh, the world. We see that Jesus healed more cases of blindness than any other kind of disease uh, uh, recorded here. Unsanitary conditions, infections, and uh, accidents, malnutrition, uh, all of these things uh, contribute to the, uh, to the blindness. And, and so there's these two blind men. They also now are in the crowd. It's interesting to me. It says that these two blind men followed him. That had to be difficult for two blind men to follow Jesus when you can't see him and, you know, which way is he going? And just, you know, asking questions. They, they, there was tremendous effort to, on their part to follow Jesus. But they follow Jesus and they're crying out, Son of David, have mercy uh, on us. Have mercy on us. Please help us. But they're using the title Son of David. You see, Son of David is a messianic title. It's a title of the Messiah. Now, you remember when David was in his palace and, and the tabernacle was uh, outside and, and David says to himself, I'm living in this luxury of this palace, but God is in a tent outside. He says, I'm going to build a temple for him. And, and you remember he calls Nathan the prophet and he tells him, I'm going to build a temple. And Nathan says, whatever is in your heart and do it. And, and that was when as Nathan departs, you know, God pulls Nathan aside and says, Nathan, did you talk to me about this first? David can't build the temple. He's a man of war. He has blood on his hands. You, you go back into David and tell him that he's not allowed to build the temple. But tell him this. Tell him, I will build him a house. And from him, the Messiah is going to come. And so David's offspring. So you have all of the Jews. The Messiah is going to come through the nation of Israel. And, and so now God says that it is going to come through David. And so the, the tree now line of David, the Messiah, is going to come. You know, the city of David, Bethlehem, but the house of David, Jesus, the Messiah, is going to come through him. So son of David. The, the son, the descendant of David, is a title for uh, the Messiah. So these two blind men, as you have these investigators that are around, you know, questioning and watching over, here are these two blind men now that begin to declare son of David, son of David. They're calling Jesus the Messiah uh, by declaring that title to him. And, and so have mercy on us. And, and, and it says here in verse 28, and when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? And once again, we see, do you have the faith? Do you believe uh, uh, that I can do this? You remember when Jesus went to Nazareth, his uh, hometown, 
And remember that, uh, that a prophet has no honor except in his own house. And, and they didn't believe in Jesus and they wouldn't put their faith in him. And it, and it says that no mighty works were done there because there was no faith there. Just a, a few small blessings and, and healings were done. That, that was it. We see that Jesus is constantly questioning and looking at and asking and talking about faith. He says, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. And so they reply in the affirmative. And, and it says in verse 29, then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened, and, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. And so Jesus touches their eyes, and, and they are healed. The faith of these two blind men, it is worthy of noticing it. Number one, they, they had to follow Jesus. They had the faith to follow Jesus even though they were blind and how difficult that was. They had the faith to cry out. They had the faith to identify Jesus as the Messiah. They had the faith to ask Jesus for mercy. And they had the faith to believe that Jesus was able to heal them. They had the faith to be able to say, Yes, Lord. And so we see their faith. It is interesting that they see Jesus, though they are blind, as the Messiah. And yet the religious leaders that are fully sighted, they cannot see that Jesus is the Messiah. The light of the world stood before those men, those Pharisees and leaders, and they couldn't see the light. And yet these blind men, were able to identify in Jesus as the light of the world. And so they were told now not to tell anyone. And it says in verse 31, but when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. <laughs> so here we see their great faith, but then they're disobedient in their discipleship as you know, Jesus tells them not to. But they, they just uh, couldn't uh, help themselves. We uh, see that uh, it was a grateful overflowing a heart uh, that now would cause them to just be sharing about what Jesus had done. Why does Jesus tell them not to tell anybody? He does this amazing miracle for them. He opens up their eyes and now they're able to see, but he doesn't want them to go around telling everybody that. And it's because Jesus didn't want to be known as a miracle worker. Jesus was setting up the kingdom of God. And so he didn't want to be known as a, a person that does these amazing miracles because then the people would come out to watch some amazing miracles be done. And Jesus was doing so much more than the miracles. The miracles were just validating the words that he was speaking. And the words that he was speaking was that the kingdom of God is at hand and that you can enter into that kingdom. And so Jesus tells them not, not to tell everybody but their grateful overflowing hearts caused them to and as they went out verse 32 behold they brought to him a man 
mute and, and demon-possessed. And, and when the demon was cast out, the, the mute spoke. And the multitudes marveled, saying, it was never seen like this in Israel. Now you remember that there were three messianic miracles, three miracles that was thought that only the Messiah was going to uh, be able to do. Number one, heal a leper. And Jesus he heals the leper and sends him to the priests as a testimony. The second messianic miracle was uh, to heal a demon-possessed person who was mute. And the reason was that part of the exorcism, now the, the rabbis would exorcise and the Jews would exorcise demons, but part of exorcising a demon was speaking to that demon and discovering the name of that demon. And then once you had the name of that demon, you could bind the demon using his name and this was part of the whole exorcism that would take place. The problem with a mute person is, is that they don't speak. So you could never get the name of the demon and, and so you weren't able to cast it out. But here, Jesus takes this mute man and by his sheer authority, he heals him. And, and this is why they said that we've never seen anything like this in, in all of Israel. And, and once again, they're watching Jesus. The religious leaders are there up in Capernaum watching Jesus's ministry here and, and we see the response in verse 34 but the Pharisees said he casts out demons by the ruler of the demons in other words now they recognize that that Jesus has just done something that that nobody else is able to do but now rather than ascribing it into the authority of God they say that the only way that he could do that is, is if he's got the authority of, uh, of Satan. Uh, and so um, here we see that, uh, that now they are determining Jesus to be an enemy uh, of the traditional Judaism. And, uh, and so um, now the chapter we see here has uh, the Pharisees accusing Jesus four different times. We see that he's uh, accused of blasphemy when he forgives the sins. He is accused of, of eating with the sinners when, uh, when he goes to the feast that Matthew mm, throws for him. He is accused of uh, impiety and also here now uh, of uh, serving Satan, the, the prince of demons. And, and so uh, we see the religious leaders are continuing their rejection of, of Jesus and also of uh, his work. In verse 35, it says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease uh, among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. We see that Jesus, as he encounters the, the depth of human need, he is just moved with compassion. He sees the people, they are weary and they are scattered. We see that, declares that he sees them as, as sheep that have no shepherd. In other words, they're just lost. 
We fill it up from the moment that we get up to the moment that we go to bed. I think that, you know, our culture, no doubt, is living at the fastest pace that, that it has ever lived. And now there is that need for us to be intentional about making room in our lives for Jesus, for time spent with him. And, and it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just uh, happen. I was thinking about, you know, uh, discretionary income. That's that income that you have after you have paid all of your bills. And, and it says that, you know, when you look at, you know, where people use their discretionary income, that that, that shows you really what, what they value, what is uh, important to, to them, where they put that. And it got me to thinking about discretionary time. You know, uh, what do we do with our discretionary time and, and where does it go and how do we spend it? And if someone was to look at our lives and to look at our discretionary time, where are we spending that? And are we carving out, are we making room with that discretionary time that we have got in our life for Jesus? Jesus says, make room. I have to get to this girl. And Jesus is seeking to be able to reach the deepest parts of, of our life, of your life and, and my life, and to bring wholeness and to bring healing in every area. And so may we make room for him. May we give him access. May we be intentional about spending time with Jesus every single day in that continual surrender of our heart and our life to the Lord and allow the Lord to do amazing things in us and to transform us and mold us into the image and likeness of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. And Lord, just that opportunity to come and, and to experience, Lord, the way that you have compassion the way that you love, the way that you heal, the way that you touch. And Lord, your word tells us that we have not because we ask not. But this morning, may, may we ask, like the blind men, have mercy on us and touch us and, and heal us. And, and like Jairus' daughter, may, may we make room for the Lord to have access in our lives, even to, to parts of our lives that we may look at, to relationships that we think are dead. But God, you can bring them back to life. And Lord, would you truly wash over us afresh and fill us with peace, with joy, and God, we are not sheep without a shepherd. But Lord, we have the good shepherd that takes good care of us. He makes us to lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside the still waters and he restores our soul. And so Lord, may we be refreshed this morning, renewed. And Lord, may we resolve to make room in our hearts for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.